Thank you very much. Um, it's a joy to be with you all today. And um, all of this has just been a prayer come to fruition. I'm glad that the Lord gave us this opportunity. Um, I'll be talking from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9. Well, it will be one verse, but I'll read from verses 9 to 18. But before that, I'd like to ask you if, you've, if, you have, uh, if you've ever thought about the idea of or what last words are really what, what last words really mean when people are about to either when, I'm, when they're about to die when they're about to receive a farewell when they're about to be sent to a different country especially famous people uh, powerful people when the things they say in their uh, last ages in their last times they try to be very specific in what they say. They try to say the most important things. And it's been very common in many of our practices. You can think of any speech made by a famous leader or an author. And as, as we read through these uh, verses, I want you to think about any from your own country, anything that a person has been, a very famous person has said, a very important thing that has been going on in generations. Before that, I just want to give you a brief background. Uh, in chapter 1, we see Paul calling Timothy to protect the message um, which has been entrusted to him. And he urges Timothy of the need to guard the gospel. He urges uh, the necessity of ensuring and that the message of the gospel is not altered. And then in chapters 2 and 3, we see Paul shifting from, uh, he, he shifts his focus from the need to raise um, to the need to raise faithful men who will continue to teach and preach the gospel. However, he reminds him that this doesn't come without opposition. There will be opposition, he says. And faithful preaching of the gospel will result in some sort of challenge. Whatever time, whatever age we may be, it will have consequences, he reminds him. Finally, he goes on the end of chapter 3 and then all the way up to chapter 4. Almost all of chapter 4, he gives him his final charge. He encourages him to continue in what he has learned and what he has become convinced of. He, he uh, the faithful minister, he says, the faithful Christian will continue on enduring in the faith until the final days. It seems that Paul knows here that these are his last words. Um, technically speaking, it, 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 he's kind of envisioning that he's kind of thinking about death. He talks kind of, he mentions it in the letter as well. He was probably rearrested at Ephesus and perhaps the instigation of Alexander, the metal worker who has been mentioned there, that may be the case. Let me read for you from Second Timothy chapter 4, but my focus is going to be on verse 13. I just want you to get the context. Verses, verse 19 to 18. Verse 9 to 18, sorry. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this world, has desert, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is faithful to me for ministry. Tychicus has sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the, par the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to me. No one, uh, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. 
the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. There are two things that I think we can notice here. The first thing is Paul's coat, uh, his jacket or his cloak. You would think that something as basic as a cloak would, would, not, would not be necessary enough to be mentioned in a God-inspired work. Uh, there are just so many things that Paul could be talking about in his last letter that would benefit Timothy and the church so much rather than just asking for his jacket. But what does this tell us about who Paul is, you would say? Maybe we've overlooked this passage thinking it was just a personal request that doesn't require much attention. But let me take some time to ponder on that request. Here is Paul, a very rich and respected man, educated, who owned a lot in the the good times, in the prime of his age, and who went to the the equivalent of the most prestigious university in the world. He's a very respected man who had his whole life set ahead of him, up until at least he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. It was then and there that all of his life changed. His desires, his priorities, and his total outlook of life changed. He no longer considered life worth living unless it was lived for Christ. He says this in Philippians 3, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. This was a tune that Paul repeated many times. He wasn't just also a man of, a man who knew the right words to say at the right time. He lived it out as well. He suffered so much for the sake of the gospel. He lost everything he had. He did not even have good friends around him. You can notice this from the text as the end of his life nears him. You can see that. A lot more clearly, many people think hard and they plan ahead when they're growing old. They plan, they save. They want to make sure that they have a good life set in front of them. They don't want to, they don't want to be left, left hanging in the middle of... Uh, you see a lot of people in the, in the street who don't have... Older people who don't have... They may have kids, but they're not being taken care of well. So, especially in Eastern cultures, you have to not just care after yourself and think of your own retirement you also have to think about your children and grandchildren you have to leave an inheritance and a good name for yourself or else your life is considered to be a selfish waste and and here is Paul the man who could have had it all writing his last letter sure that he will die very soon asking for a coat he left at Troas he probably lost he lost his coat when he was probably when he was arrested maybe it was an expensive coat we don't know we can't say for sure but we, what we know for sure is he's in prison and either he is already feeling the cold or he's about to feel the cold and there is no way for him to get, to get clothes, to get a cloak. He needs Timothy to send him a cloak from hundreds of kilometers away. The friends he had around him were not even good enough for a jacket. All those people who are gathered around him, perhaps they didn't even want to be identified with Paul anymore. And this makes sense because the same thing happened to Christ. People hate the truth. People hate truth. So if you carry truth around you, you can, you can bet on a very, that a very sizable amount of your friends will, will no longer be on your side. So it may have been an important thing. It may have been an acceptable, a profitable thing to be identified with Paul in his younger days, but not now. He's an old man. He's stricken. He's been sick many times. He's wanted by the government. You don't want to be identified by him. You can imagine that he wants even something. He needs a lot more than just a cloak, but he just asks for that. Um, he just wanted to be warm. You don't need to look good to be a good Christian. 
when you think about how Paul is going through all these things, don't tell me, especially don't tell Paul that a Christian is one who lives in a life of prosperity, who lives a life of luxury and live, live up to you know, 120 years of age, uh, or who, who, who flies in luxury, in luxury um, jets and lives in mansions. It's so not true. That's not the case. The life of the Christian is marked by loss, by persecution and by suffering. We lose for the glory of Christ. And when our inner person, when our inner self is being sanctified and strengthened, our outer self is subject to, be, to, to decay. Anyone else, anyone else telling you, preaching you, anything other than this is trying to sell you something. You can see this in the life of Paul. The second thing we can notice is Paul's books. It is said that people who are asking for and, and saying, the, the, they would say the most important things when their life is about to end. That's why I asked you in the beginning to think of the most famous speech, speeches or final words you may think of. What were Paul's last words? Bring me the coat and the books I left. He's in prison. He is sure that he won't make it out even if, the, even if uh, in the past the Lord has helped him to get out of similar situations in miraculous ways. So he's now asking for the most important thing in his life. His cloak and his books. Clothes to warm his body and books to warm his soul, basically. I wonder what you think of when you think of a prison cell. When you th- if you close your eyes and think of a first century prison cell, what, what comes to your mind? Prisons would be filthy. They would be poorly ventilated. They're usually underground. They would be divided into the outer and inner areas. The inner areas were more secure. They were darker. They would not have had individual cells. Prisoners were chained to one another. And there's disease. There's starvation. It's not a good place to be in. They intentionally designed it like this. They were designed to psychologically, physically torture a person. Either for retribution, for punishment, or to get a confession out of them. Whatever the case is, it's not a pleasant place to be. These places were designed to strip the dignity of human beings. And of all the things that prison does to a person, it's the psychological impact. You're no longer wanted by society. You felt a certain sense of unease. It's like you, your, your body may be contained in one place, but your mind is just all over the place. Especially uh, recently when my father was arrested last year, I, I, I was noticing this a lot. He had all the time in the world. He was, sitting, he was sitting all day long and I would ask him, I would be visiting him every day. I would ask him, what do you need? What do you need? And he keeps telling me things that he needs, like I need a pillow or something like this. And I ask him, do you want a book? Do you want a book? He says, no, I can't read. I can't read. My mind is all over the place. I can't read. Um, and I had to beg him to even give him a Bible. And it just makes a lot of sense when you're, when you're thinking, when you're, when you're in prison, your mind is just all over the place. You can imagine what Paul was thinking about. Why would Alexander do me so, such a great harm? What, what did I do to him? I've done nothing wrong to him. Why, would, why in the world would Demas leave the, the, the glories of Christ and just rejoin the, the world? Why? Why? So many whys. So many, especially when you're innocent. So many whys. Should I have done anything different? Should I have said anything different in the trial? What, is, what, what are they going to be asking me at the next trial? Um, what's going to happen to Timothy when he's coming on the road? What will happen to the church in Philippi? They don't even have elders yet. He had so many concerns to be thinking about. He had physical concerns. He's probably sick and he's thinking that they're going to kill him. How are they going to be killing? How are they going to kill me? How are they, will I, will, I, will I get lunch today? Will I, 
is it going to be the same rotten eggs that I, that I ate yesterday? It's so many things could be going around in Paul's mind. And, but in all these wanderings, it is hard for the mind to settle and to read. And yet Paul's second request was, of all the things he could ask for, even during his last days, he still wanted his books. He probably knows he won't be able to share that knowledge with his church, the knowledge that he acquires. But he still wants to read. He was the best scholar back then. And to this day, he is the best scholar. Imagine the number of PhD papers and theses. Like, imagine the, the, the literature out there, just purely based on Paul's works. Charles Spurgeon says uh, on this, he is inspired and yet he wants books. He has been preaching for at least 30 years and yet he wants books. He had seen the Lord and yet he wants books. He had had a wider experience than most men and yet he wants books. He had been caught up to the third heaven and had heard things which were unlawful for a man to utter and yet he wants books. He had written the majority of the New Testament and yet he wants books. And especially the parchments. These were like the writings or the portions of the Old Testament. What, what, what we, would, we would now call the Old Testament. But back then it was just scriptures to them. They didn't have the New Testament. The Old Testament was the full scripture they had. They were God's revelation. Earlier in his letter he had commanded Timothy to devote himself to the reading of scripture in season and out of season. And here he is. To devote, he's been telling Timothy to devote himself to preach in season and out of season. And Paul was living up to his words. He knows that all, he said this as well, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. A pastor who reads well is able to lead his flock well. A Christian who reads well is able to preach and defend the gospel well. That is what we're called to do. We are called to honor Christ the Lord as holy by always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks us for a reason for the hope that is within us. One of, one of the ways that we can honor Christ is by always being prepared. We live in a day and age where technology has made it so easy for many of us, for all of us almost, especially in this room, to be the most educated people in all of history. Never in the history of mankind has so much information been available at a moment's notice. You can fact check me. You can quickly Google if I'm copying somebody's sermon. Write that. We can now store all the books in the entire world on a single flash drive. All the books in the entire world. We have powerful search engines that enhance reading and research. What brought the Reformation about was prayer and the printing press. Brothers, we have access to so much that it would be shameful for us to complain about the lack of resources or the lack of time or the lack of energy or any of these things. I come from a country where the Pentecostal community, the movement has swept the nation and deprived people of of their books and their reason. If Pentecostalism is against anything, it's against the culture of reading. Reading your scripture and reading good books. If people read their scriptures and good books, then heresy would have had a hard time sweeping into the, creeping into the nation, into the churches. One of the most admirable, I've mentioned this in the morning as well. One of the most admirable things I saw when I came here was that a pastor's house was filled with books, had loads of books. And he gives them away. A library, a pastor having a library is not common in my context. 
you, uh, you may not see and savor the preciousness of a pastor who reads, but you will, especially when, when you're in a church where your pastor does not read. And you don't have to be a pastor or an elder or a, a minister to read. You can read not just for yourself, but also for others. Of all the books that you can read, read your Bibles. Paul was on his deathbed and he still wanted the Old Testament. Would you ask for the Bible at the end of your life? Is your Bible worn out? Do you enjoy reading your Bible just for the sake of reading it? Not, not for nothing else, just for the sake of reading it. When Christians don't read the Bible, what happens is when they don't read the Bible, they don't know what the Lord is commanding them. They don't obey those commandments. It's no longer the only source of doctrine and practice in their church. Consider that there are many churches in the entire world. Remember that that, that are unbiblical. There are churches and yet unbiblical. In the Ethiopian church, for instance, prosperity, gospel, legalism, a very unhealthy attention to, to, the, to, to the spiritual world, to demons and everything. It's just, it's all over the place. There's a weak understanding of the gospel, the weak understanding of salvation, bad soteriology, bad ecclesiology. We don't know what the church is. Expositional preaching does not exist. There's a wide rejection of reformed theology, a wide rejection. There are these confessional, uh, you don't have confessional churches. There are seminaries, but they're not confessional. They, there are Bible schools, but they don't teach you the Bible. They're just all based on some foreigners that came from some years ago, established something, and then went. That's it. The authority of scripture is not taken into consideration. It's almost impossible to find any healthy church or any healthy local ministry that... Uh, in the capital city, and that is what I'm from. It's a city with like 6 million people. Even more, maybe. And all of this stems towards the whole idea of the lack of resources. That's the main reason. It, our churches and Christians don't have this. Theologically unaware, pastors suffer from the lack of sound doctrine in many churches. Church elders and teachers and Bible study leaders and people of every... They don't have access to these information. Each one of you in this room do you know how privileged you are just for, the, for your ability, whether English is your first or second language, for your ability to speak, read, and write, and listen to English? Many people don't have the Bible in their languages, let alone all these amazing resources that you have access to. And so your ability to read puts you in like a, the most privileged upper class of just your ability to read upper class of society, when you think of the entire world population. You can see letters, drawings on a paper, and you can extract meaning from them. This is magic. You can read something. For many people, this is magic. And not only can you read, you can read God's word. You're able to speak to God by reading your scriptures. And you can read scriptures, not just scriptures as well. You can read uh, theological books. You can read books on different topics, you know, on, on biblical theology, on systematic theology, on issues that you have questions of. So keep, keep reading. You can read present, past, future. You can, there's so much opportunity for all of us here. You have the Puritans and the Reformers. If you think English is too hard for you, you have the, like, Modern English versions, like the, the previous English is not even enough. 
There's the modern English version for you. How many versions of the Pilgrim's Progress do we have? If, you, if it's too long, there's the abridged version. If, if you're physically unable to read, there's audiobooks. If you're physically unable to read, there's audiobooks. And, and Braille's as well. You have been gifted. We have all been gifted. Let us use this gift for God's glory. And believe me when I say this, it is God's grace that either protected you or delivered you from the bondage of a church that has its mind set on something else than God's word. Paul was a man who had everything. He lost it all that he may gain Christ. The gospel was made so visible in his life. He fought the good fight. He kept the faith and he finished the race. When he died, he died in the company of a cloak, a jacket, some books and the scriptures. He did not need anything more. May it be so for all of us.